Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by senior advisor to The Lincoln Project and author of It Was All a Lie, Stuart Stevens. Stu, good to have you. Great to be here, man. Thanks. And coming back to the show, the newest Lincoln Project senior advisor, legendary Democratic strategist, Joe Trippi. Joe, welcome back. Good to be with you, Reed. So today, guys, I want to talk a little bit about the Lincoln Project's efforts around Toyota and other corporations and Fox News and their willingness to tell people not to get vaccinated. But first, I want to talk about the fight for voting rights that's reaching critical mass in the state of Texas this week, where I was on Monday. So earlier this week, about 50 Democrats from the Texas State House of Representatives left Austin, Texas for Washington, D.C. to break the quorum of the Texas legislature. That means that during the special session that Greg Abbott just called to pass additional anti-voting rights legislation, that the House and the Senate cannot meet because they cannot have a quorum. There's just not enough members to pass bills. And I was down there interviewing a state rep, Julie Johnson, from Assembly District 115, when one of her staffers actually rolled a rolly bag by behind her on camera as they were getting ready to get out of town. So the block of Texas Democrats in D.C. now is shining the spotlight on the issue that voting rights are once again, you know, for the first time in 60 years, front and center in American life. Congress has not yet acted on these things in any meaningful way. And, you know, the Democrats from Texas are there in Washington saying pass the For the People Act now, uh, which is a sweeping federal elections bill. Back in Texas, Abbott and other Republicans are calling this political theater and calling for the arrest of Democratic members when they return to Texas. So we're like all over the map, guys, here. We've got some authoritarianism, some light treason, some good trouble being caused by these Democrats. And the ultimate point of this is that Democrats know, as Stewart has noted, that the state is trending their way. Republicans know that also, and they're afraid of it. So, Joe, take us a little bit through sort of where you see the Democrats, you know, in Texas in this and then how you see national Democrats. And do you believe they will heed the call for a federal voting rights bill here in the next days, weeks or a couple of months? Well, it may take months, it looks like. But, yeah, I think this has put it on the front burner. And you know, John Lewis would be proud of the good trouble that the Democrats in Texas are in by coming to D.C. And, and raising the alarm. It's clearly working. The coverage is changing. People are starting to talk more about this authoritarianism and its takeover of the Republican Party. I think Abbott and just the lengths they're going through just continue to show that that threat is growing and growing and in the end is going to use everything it can to push back on democracy and continue just to try to seize power. You know, Biden's speech went further with really taking on the authoritarian movement and calling it out and asking what everybody should be asking of Republicans right now, have you no shame, and especially of Abbott. So when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen, I'm less clear on, other than you can tell 
I think from Biden's speech, from the focus that this Texas crisis has really shined a light, I think, in terms of getting other people's attention, who probably aren't paying a whole lot of attention to any of this in July, but now everybody is focused on it. And I think it's going to push, hopefully, enough Democrats with some Republicans in the Senate to be able to do something here. And if not, at least push them to the point where Joe Manchin and others may have to consider joining to end the filibuster, even if temporarily on voting rights. But the one thing I do think, too, that's going on is this is really spurring that pro-democracy coalition that we talk about. People are joining it. And I think that's the real important thing, because in the end, that's the pressure, I think. The pressure on Toyota, on companies to not straddle this is growing. And I think the pressure on, I think, a lot of elected officials to push the envelope here and make sure that democracy and voting rights are protected is the paramount issue right now in the country. So, Stuart, Greg Abbott has been around Texas politics a long time. I mean, he goes back to the time when I worked for George W. Bush when I was in college in the late 90s. I believe he was chief justice of the state Supreme Court. He was subsequently attorney general and is now running for his third term as governor of Texas. He's got a couple of right-wingers challenging him in next March's primary, Alan West, who brought Florida to Texas, and a guy named Don Huffines, who went on a screed last weekend saying that Abbott had been too pro-vaccine. You know, he had taken too much action on the COVID-19 response. So is this all about protecting his right flank in a primary next spring? You know, I moved to Austin in the spring of 1999 to work on the Bush campaign. And I got to know Greg Abbott a little bit. And I found him a very interesting, thoughtful person who had dealt with this tremendous personal tragedy of, you know, jogging one day and getting hit by a tree and being partially paralyzed and handled that with great grace and fortitude. And I look at him now and I just don't know who he is. It's part of this larger phenomenon of sane, intelligent people, and Greg Abbott is, acting in a way that seems to both refute everything they said they were for and also seems guaranteed to secure them a place in history along great names like Greg Maddox and George Wallace and Ross Barnett of Mississippi. The idea of arresting people who are protesting the right to vote, there's not a great history of that either working or making the person who is ordering the arrest look good. It just baffles me. On a personal level, I just don't understand why they don't see the larger picture. And most politicians have a big ego, which is fine with me. I have no problem with that. So do great athletes, so do great artists. God knows great writers do. But why don't they see how they're going to be viewed here, not 20 years or 30 years, but in the near term? I just don't understand it. So I was having a conversation with someone earlier and we were talking about this. We were talking about Abbott in particular. And this person said, how does the guy look himself in the mirror? And I said, you know, you have to go back to an article that a friend of ours, Ann Applebaum, who coincidentally will be a guest on tonight's We're Speaking with Lisa and Maya, in an article she wrote in The Atlantic about what it means to become complicit or what it means to become a collaborator. And, you know, of the things that she laid out to me, I think Abbott gets up every morning and says, if it weren't for me, the real crazies would be running the asylum. That, you know, maybe I'm the most sane one. I'm actually protecting everybody from this, right? He sort of put this white hat on that, you know, he doesn't really mean any of this stuff, but he has to say it because the alternative of who could sit in the governor's chair, whether or not it's Dan Patrick or Alan West or Don Huffines or whoever it is, would be worse. And therefore, I have to do what I have to do, whether I like it or not, 
to sort of protect the state. I think it's bullshit, right? But it's an interesting way to rationalize the actions. Well, the Trump administration was loaded with folks like that that enabled and kept it going. And I think, you know, the fact that we're sitting here and Abbott, as nutty as he's been over the last years here and increasingly getting nuttier as we get closer to 2022, and he's the least nutty guy in the race. I'm a steward here. You know, it's not about what's going to happen history-wise 5, 10, 20 years from now. But, I mean, he's literally, I think, doing just grave damage to himself inside the state with these actions that he's taking. People are going to remember this. And I think he may be shocked in November 2022 if he makes it. Well, and I would also say that, you know, just to close out the point here, you know, he went on and did a speech from his office and says, you know, the Democrats need to come back and get back to work, right? They need to do their duty or they'll be arrested, cabined inside the Capitol. I'd never heard that used as a verb before. But, you know, I think back to, you know, this past winter in Texas when the power grid failed because of extreme cold, unexpected cold, and rather than taking responsibility and trying to figure out how this never happened again, Greg Abbott was the first person to go on Fox News and blame the power outages on windmills and the Green New Deal. As, you know, older brothers and older sisters died as they wrapped their bodies around their little brothers and sisters, as people went without power and water for weeks. And this guy's now got the gall to go out there and say Democrats have to come back and do their job. Greg Abbott has no interest in governance. He just wants to stay in charge. So, I mean, this is why I say the Republican Party has to be burnt to the ground, (laughs) because there's nothing that is going to trigger a sense of decency in these people. Something terrible has happened to these people. I mean, ambition is a drug. I mean, look at George P. Bush. It just is a living Shakespearean tragedy. George P. Bush being the nephew of the former president and the son of one Jeb Bush, former governor of Florida, who Donald Trump never and probably still doesn't ever miss an opportunity to insult in sort of some of the nastiest ways. As he insulted his grandfather, war hero, president, great man, and insulted his mother. I mean, there's no fixing this. There's no expectation that they will change. I've always thought there was a great parallel between in 1994, when California, under Pete Wilson, Wilson ran for re-election by demonizing immigrants. In 1994, George Bush ran uh, uh, for re-election and embraced Hispanics. And in Texas, you could see the fallout of this where Republicans did much better. Even someone like Ted Cruz did much better with Hispanics. And that's not the only reason. It's more culturated. There's a Tex-Mex culture. There's more families out there with Anglo-Hispanic families. There's more people that have, you know, mothers-in-laws who are Hispanic or mothers-in-laws who are Anglo. But now, where does this lead? I don't think politically there's a future to this. I have been saying that since then as well, because in 94, you look at what Pete Wilson's strategy did to the Republican Party in California, it's non-existent. At the same time, as you point out, in Texas, the path George Bush took actually has, you know, made and built a Republican Party that was more diverse and growing. And the fact that you would think a party would look at those two alternatives and pick the one where it could grow. And instead, it's not only picking the path Pete Wilson took, but it's taking it to even further extremes with more animus and with more spite. And it's incompetent. Like I'm sitting in Vermont now. They have a Republican governor here, dedicated public servant. And people are walking around without masks in Vermont because it's the highest vaccination rate of any state in the country. 
And there's nothing magical about this. You just had a competent governor who led a state, who didn't try to politicize this, who did what was in the best interest. And you would think it's not too far down the list of what your job responsibility should be is like protect your own citizens. Like don't try to kill them. Republicans generally have no interest in governing anymore. It's all performative bullshit. Greg Abbott does not want to govern. He wants to rule and he wants to keep doing it, I assume, because he thinks he's going to run for president in 2024, which is a fallacy in and of itself because he's about as interesting as a bowl of vanilla ice cream. But Joe, you were going to say something. Look, I think all this speaks to, look, it's not a party. It is an authoritarian movement. That's what's taken control of what used to be the Republican Party. The problem with that is that George P. Bush, Abbott, and a host of other people are either part of that authoritarian movement or they're being held hostage by it. That's why he's got to say these things. That's why George P. Bush has got to sit there and grin and, and take his picture with Trump. He wouldn't do that under any ordinary circumstances, but it's the authoritarian movement that he fears, that he fears is going to end his career. And so there's some cowardice in all that as well. But if that's the case, does he even deserve the career in the first place? Of course not. Of course no. not. But but my point is, we've all talked about this with Joe Manchin and Biden and a lot of people on the Democratic side, I think until recently, under this delusion that there's two parties and we have to find bipartisanship. The problem is you're negotiating with hostages. Or in some cases, you're trying to negotiate with people who are signed and delivered to the authoritarian movement that they're leading. Those are the only two groups that are, are left. That's one of the reasons I joined the Lincoln Project is because it, it hit me. I think, Stuart, after you were on my podcast, and of course, Reed and I had talked, and when Steve Schmidt came on, it hit me that, no, this is an authoritarian movement versus all of us in a pro-democracy coalition that we got to build. Everybody, Republicans, Democrats, it's not right versus left. It's not ideological right now. It's not one party against another party. This is an authoritarian movement that wants to take power by any means. And the only thing that can stop it is a pro-democracy coalition of every American out there, corporations that do not straddle, cannot straddle two parties because you have to decide you're for the authoritarian movement and funding it or you're going to stand with the pro-democracy coalition. It's the same with every element of our society, the press. People have got to start understanding that we're not in this two-party, let's get along, let's find common ground. That's the one thing I think that makes this hard for people to grasp is, yeah, there are people in office right now, in Joe Biden is the president of the United States, there are senators, they've got to try to get something done and they're going to have to find some common ground or try to maneuver to get things done. We've got to give them all the room to do that. You know, call out anybody who stands in the way of that, but give them some room. But at the organizing level, at the way the media covers this, at the way corporations view this sort of two-party world, that world does not exist. We'll go argue about them after we save democracy. But right now it's the democracy itself that's at stake. And we have to be Lincoln's guardians to make sure the government for, of, and by the people survives. So I want to switch to our next topic because, Joe, you mentioned the idea of you know corporate America. So last week we launched an ad campaign against Toyota. We basically called them out. They have 
after pledging not to give to members of the Republican conference who voted against certification on January 6th, they gave to the tune of about $67,000 in, you know, a few dozen contributions to these people. Crew, Judd Legum, and a bunch of other groups did a lot of good research. We took that research. Stuart and Rick wrote a spot. Let's listen to it here. America's free market democratic system has been good for companies like Toyota for a long time. So why would Toyota support politicians who try to overthrow the very system that's been so profitable for them? 1953 model GOP has real class. Toyota's given more money than any company to the seditious politicians who voted to overturn the 2020 election result. They even hired Mitch McConnell's former chief of staff as a lobbyist. Toyota's number one at finding ways to financially reward the very party that took our nation to the brink on January 6th, helping finance a movement that violently sought to take votes away from American customers, not to mention Toyota's own employees. It's time to call Toyota's corporate leadership. If they don't reconsider where they send their money, Americans will reconsider where we send ours. So, guys, we launched that last Thursday morning, and in about six hours, we got word that Toyota had capitulated, that they said they would not give more money to people who voted against the Sedition Caucus of January 6th. And so Rick and Stu wrote the ad, but it was really the idea that it was all the people who viewed that ad, who retweeted that ad, who had called Toyota, who'd said, I'm not going to buy another Toyota, who called the headquarters in Plano, who actually made that difference. When all of us on the right side of history here got together, we could move a company the size of Toyota, not a small company. People responded. And I think it was that response and the fear of it growing that got Toyota in the span of six, seven hours to say, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. The problem is we got to wake up a lot of corporate America to this fact. I think Stuart talks about this. You know, so We lack the imagination to see how far things will go. And also, it's not just the lack of imagination, but the world we've been living in all this time of two parties, corporations who give to both sides, covering their butts, all that kind of stuff that we've seen for years, they're under the delusion that these are normal times. They're not. It's all of us against an authoritarian movement. Get this podcast or other articles you see, send it to your friends, a coworker, uh, another family member, get them to one, understand this is the ground we're fighting on. It's democracy versus autocracy. One, get them to understand that and get them to join in their own way in a pro-democracy coalition, either by joining the Lincoln Project. There's other great groups out there, but we all have to be part of this. And the more of us who join and the more of us who respond to these actions are going to make a big difference. I mean, you got AT&T down in Dallas. There are lots of employees of AT&T in Texas, who right now, Abbott and the Republican State House are trying to make it tougher for them to vote. And so, I mean, there's all these companies that I think have to realize that business as usual, giving to both sides right now, particularly to the 147 in the Sedition Caucus, is just not acceptable. You're either defending democracy or you're helping fund the seditionists. Now, Stuart, what do you think other C-suites are doing when they see Toyota under that kind of pressure and see them fold that quickly? Do they redouble themselves or do you think they say, well, shit, it's coming for us eventually, which we are? It's a fascinating question because usually 
organizations do what is in their best interest. And the long-term best interest of these companies is to defend the system that made them wealthy. I mean, would you rather be a CEO in America or in Russia right now? Would you rather be a wealthy person in America or Russia now? So it is this inability to imagine that it could get that way. This free enterprise system of ours has been the greatest engine of wealth creation in the history of the world. And it has created an environment in which not only companies can come to America like Toyota. I mean, this is a company that during World War II was making trucks for the Japanese army. It comes to America. It's embraced and uh, grows. It hires Americans. It's really benefited from our system of multiple levels. And for them to go and support anyone who wants to do away with the peaceful transition of power in America, I mean, it's, listen, they get credit for doing the right thing. Well, as President Reagan liked to say, trust but verify. Yeah, let's see if they continue to do it. But all these companies, forget any sort of like higher purpose or anything. It's in their best interest. I mean, you're going to go negotiate. You get somebody like Trump it continues. I mean, Trump wanted to use the power of the federal government against companies that he felt were not supporting him. Next step is Russia. Well, you know, with a company like Toyota, and guys, remember this too for folks listening, there are probably 22 different sedans you can buy on the market. There's 50 different SUVs. There's pickup trucks and everything else. And, and I think that's to Stuart's point is I think we've come to learn about this is that unfortunately, too much of what we have to concentrate on now is making people feel financial pressure. They backed off because they were afraid that they were going to lose customers, and they might. And I wouldn't be opposed to that necessarily. They should probably feel a little bit of pain. Again, if you're in the mindset that it's all back to normal times, you just think you're supposed to give to both parties. Every corporation out there thinks that way. And so if Toyota, if any, I believe this about AT&T, about any of them, that if they believed, if they actually could imagine, actually believed that this is democracy under threat and that it's an authoritarian movement that they're funding, they wouldn't. The fact is they're not thinking that way. That's what we, I think, have started to sound the alarm on. I think Biden's speech started talking more directly at the authoritarian movement. I think the more companies and other organizations out there start to see it in those terms, autocracy versus democracy. And we have to be united as a pro-democracy coalition. That's, again, why I joined the Lincoln Project, because I thought it's got to be Democrats and Republicans, all of us working together, building this coalition. Some people won't want to join us, could join something else, but be part of the pro-democracy coalition that understand and gets and sounds the alarm that an authoritarian movement is the biggest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. And if there are any corporate CEOs that would like a presentation on what an authoritarian regime means for them, please get in touch with us. We'd love to come explain it to you. So, Joe and Stuart, before we wrap up today, I want to talk about one more thing, which is Fox News and their hosts telling people not to get vaccinated. And, you know, as we've talked about with the flywheel on the right, it's hard to tell whether or not it starts at Fox News and it spins down to the grassroots or it starts at the grassroots and it spins up to Fox News. But, you know, last week, President Biden announced a door-to-door initiative along with other strategies to help boost COVID-19 vaccinations. But since the announcement, Fox News, other conservative commentators, and Republican members of Congress have told Americans not to get vaccinated. 
and have been relentlessly spinning, you know, Biden's outreach efforts as forced vaccinations, government coercion, falsely suggesting that the outreach would be carried out using illegally obtained medical information. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, never afraid of a Holocaust analogy, you know, went back to saying this was like having medical brown shirts showing up at their door and ordering vaccinations. Lauren Boebert also joined in the Nazi comparisons. She called these folks who are going to go door to door, quote, needle Nazis. Let's hear a little bit about what Lauren Boebert had to say at CPAC this past weekend. We're here to tell government, we don't want your benefits. We don't want your welfare. Don't come knocking on my door with your Fauci outie. You leave us the hell alone. All right. So aside from like the inimitable stupidity of all of that, they're killing their own voters. Like, I mean, just if we were going to make it just a grossly political conversation, they are literally going to sicken and kill potentially tens of thousands of people who might show up to vote for them next year. Well, that's one of the crazier things about this. Why would you do this? Right. It makes no sense at all. It's like they didn't live through the 2020 election where, what, 44,000 votes decides whether Joe Biden's president of the United States or not. We're now projecting something like 85,000 will die in the next few months because people aren't getting vaccinated. And the people who are dying right now are people who aren't vaccinated. It's just unbelievable, unconscionable, despicable. All that You can't put enough words on it. And it doesn't make any sense at all. I think, though, you get to the right point, Reed, is is it them following the base and just trying to keep it happy? I think it's a death loop, man. I think they just keep feeding each other and it just keeps driving them deeper into the ground. I mean, Stuart, we've been part of the well, we were part of the Republican Party. You got to rub it in, huh? I know. I tried to tell you guys. I tried <laughs> I <know>. to. <laughs> but I would like to believe that at least the people that you worked for, and I, I would say most of the people I worked for, actually believed that they were serving their people, that their constituents, whether or not that was a state rep, a mayor, a member of Congress, or the president of the United States, that there was a dedicated level of service. Now, obviously, there's plenty of bad politicians. We don't have to go into that. But now, as Joe noted, they are going out of their way. We just saw in Tennessee that they fire the state health officer because she said, if you don't get vaccinated, you could die of this Delta variant. And then they said they're going to stop all outreach on youth vaccinations, not just on COVID, but all vaccines. I mean, what the hell is going on with these people? I think you could get pretty much universal agreement that the greatest evil are those who harm children. And what is happening here is a deliberate effort to inflict pain and death on children and poor people. Everybody at Fox is vaccinated. Rupert Murdoch is vaccinated. The reason Tucker Carlson won't say whether or not he's vaccinated is because he's vaccinated. And I can guarantee you that of those in Tennessee who are in state government, overwhelmingly they're vaccinated. And this is just evil. And what's happened here is people go crazy at times countries go crazy, parties go crazy. This is really, when you call it a death loop, it really is a sort of madness that has overtaken this party. And where it ends, I don't know. But I know that the only way to fight it is to crush it. I mean, Joe, also, I mean, as we saw at its worst, and we hope last year was at its worst, that there is obviously a massive public health issue you know, we're starting to see ICU beds overwhelmed. They're having to expand COVID wards again. We're back to talking about ventilators. 
But the follow on of that, because as Charity Dean, former state health official in California, said a few weeks back, we have ended containment for this particular part of the population, which means that we will now have sickness, death and a corresponding economic downturn, at least among that population. They can't go to work. They can't go out. They can't do those things. And so the people, to Stewart's point, who are hardest hit already just by the disparities of American life are going to be harder hit. And it looks like they take joy. Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and all these people, they're ghouls. They're grim reapers. And they seem to take such joy in it. Yeah, we saw them cheering at CPAC. That, you know, people weren't getting vaccinated. They cheered that. This is what gets me about sort of the press coverage again, because, look, all Joe Biden and the administration could do is make sure that every single American, regardless of party, regardless of locality, had access to a free vaccine that would protect them. And, you know, they got every American has a place to get a vaccine for free within five miles of their home and could get assistance to get there if they can't. He did that. And yet the coverage is Biden falls short of his 70% goal and they cheer it. He didn't fall short. There are a lot of people falling short. It's Tucker Carlson, leaders of the Republican Party, Laura Ingram. They're the people who are responsible for the country not getting there. Biden did everything he could to make that goal. And it's just despicable that still the press covers it like he's the one that failed. That's not what's going on. It's an authoritarian movement that is using vaccinations, masks, all this to gin up more spite in a way that is killing their own now. It's just absolutely horrid to see this happening. And so, Stu, you know, just to close this out, I mean, we know that Fox News has a lot of advertisers during their day side programming, which they quote unquote call news, and then they have more advertisers during Tucker and Hannity and Laura Ingram and all these other people. But also we know that, you know, there are big companies like Comcast or Cox, DirecTV, Dish Network, who pay Fox News, you know, six, eight bucks per household to carry this program, right? That's where Fox News makes its money. So tens of millions of us are paying eight bucks a month in our cable bill, which of course they don't break out because they don't want you to see it so that we can deliver this message of death, frankly, to our fellow citizens. It boggles the mind. Everyone out there that has Fox and their cable system should call their cable system and say, I don't want to pay to kill people. And Fox is killing people. So I want you to quit carrying Fox. And if enough people do that, it'll have economic impact. And that's the only thing that's going to speak to these people. Because Rupert and was it Lachlan, the Murdochs, they don't care. Remember, guys, that we ran an ad, I think it was last March or April, that Fox had put a memo out in 2020, right as the pandemic was taking hold, saying, you know, you have to follow these protocols when you come to the studio. You have to socially distance. You have to do this. So they know exactly what it is they're doing. And as Stu, as you've noted, too, I believe Laura Ingram went to Dartmouth. Carlson went to all sorts of fancy private schools. These are not stupid people. These are, as you have noted, people who have taken advantage of the most elite universities and organizations in the country. And they're basically telling people, don't get the needle in the arm because we don't want you to. And that's going to result in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, more people dying. So, Joe, as we wrap up here, where can we find you online? On Twitter, at Joe Trippy, And, of course, my podcast, That Trippy Show. Get it wherever you get this podcast. Give it a listen. And, Stu, where can we find you online? Stuart P. Stevens on Twitter. And, guys, you can find me, as always, at Reed Galen. Thanks, everybody, for all of your help. 
Thank you for every one of you who is making what the Lincoln Project does on a daily basis possible, whether or not that is Toyota or the things we have to come for the balance of this summer. As Joe had noted, guys, we're not going to get this done until we all get in it together, until we all say we all have our political stripes and our political histories, but we got one political goal. It's a moral goal. It's a righteous goal. And that is to defeat the authoritarian movement and the anti-democracy movement that has overtaken this country. So until then, gang, thank you so much for listening. And guys, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.